Yeah. Yeah, you know what that means. You know what that means. <laughs> it's uh, we're recording this uh, April fourth, the morning after the UConn Huskies men's basketball team won the national championship, prevailing over a very tough, mm-hmm. persistent San Diego State University team. That's national championship number five number for the men. Five. We are here in the basketball capital of the world. Yep, we're both very tired. So tired. It is. Not a lot of sleep after you win no. a national championship and wake up at 6 a.m. It's not no. good. Not good. Did you watch the whole game? I did. What'd you think? Um, I, I struggled to stay awake at the end, but then had no problems staying right. up two hours later. Weirdly, was not anxious. I know yeah. a lot of people are very anxious. Um, see, I'm a... I love UConn basketball. I'm not like a big sports person, so I don't get all like worked up about it. That's good. And the game, I know it did get close at one point. I was a little nervous then. My husband was like, you were nervous. I'm like, no, I wasn't. I I was, but it was fantastic. I love these players. I think they just are such a good bunch of guys and really excited for Coach Hurley, and it's just freaking awesome. Yeah. This feels like a special team. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Um. And it was so neat to see, uh, like, all the alums in Houston. Oh, my gosh. All the favorites, like the Mount Rushmore plus more of our yeah. men's basketball history. We're all together taking pictures and yep. giving the guys pep talks. My favorite player, Rip Hamilton, yes. gave them a good, yeah. good little boost a few days ago. Yeah. And, and all the UConn Twitter luminaries who made the trip. Friend, oh friend of the pod, Matt Necci was everywhere Matt in Necci, Houston. Uh, Penfield. Penfield. Big Larry was there. I mean, everybody was there. Our buddy Tyler Morrissey from our office. That's right. Made the trip. Co-worker yep. Tyler Morrissey. Yep. Knowing what I know now, I wish I had made the trip. I know. But the idea of like spending all that money and then they lose, <laughs> yeah. like I wouldn't be able to handle that. <laughs> I just went on a work trip last week, so I couldn't leave my child again. So it didn't even cross my mind yeah. to go, but would have been pretty cool. I know a bunch of people that were there and sounded like an amazing time. Yeah. It crossed my mind after the final eight and then I started looking at plane tickets and it is not cheap no, to get to Houston. It's not cheap to get anywhere these days. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> But yeah, what a, what a what an exciting season and game. I will admit that when San Diego State cut the lead to five late mm-hmm. in the second half, I, I left my house. I had to go. <laughs> I went for a walk. <laughs> I just had to clear my head. That's kind of hilarious. I know. There were so many awesome, like, you know, if anyone was worried that we're not a blue blood team, come on, guys. Like, we got some stuff to prove it. We're the fifth team ever to win the entire NCAA tournament run by 10 points a game, 10 or more points a game. That was pretty cool. Um, we're 5-0 and in national championship games. Five since 1999. Like, that's insane. More than anybody else. 99, 2004, 2011, 2014, and now 2023. And we're hoping, because we had those two duels in 04 and 14, let's do that again next year. That would be yeah. nice. That'd be another one to add to the wall. That'd be so, great. Yeah, congrats. We're happy. We're happy, Huskies. I was just out on campus. Tom and I are both wearing – Tom has the um, – what do we call that one? The, the Revolutionary War, Jonathan? Yeah, the, the, the militia? The, the Patriot Husky. Patriot. When was that from? This is the 60s. This is when Homer Babbage, he hated that our mascot was the Husky because he thought it was a dumb pun, which I mean kind of is. <laughs> it is, but it's perfect. It's perfect. So he wanted us to be called the Yukon Colonials. Oh, my God. So there was this like gradual – he thought it would be like a gradual shift. Connecticut's still revolutionary. Yeah. There. So like it's it's an anthropomorphic dog with a musket. So Tom has a Yukon Husky, symbol of might to the foe, and I've just yep. got this, this sweatshirt that's short-sleeved, which is a weird thing. Says UConn, but I was out on campus, and the number of people wearing their UConn gear today—it's just, oh, there's no place like this. I don't no. think anybody else has this sort of. It's so nice to see, and like, vibe. we're we're a pretty small state, so this is a you know, it's a big deal. It is a big this deal. This is our team. 
like I was having lunch with friends on Sunday and I was wearing a Yukon sweatshirt and the when the waitress brought her check, she'd written Go Huskies. Yeah, it's, like, it's great. It it's is happy to be here again. It's so nice to have this experience again and uh, there'll be a parade at some point. I can't wait for the parade. I'm going to bring my baby to the parade. Yeah, his first <sighs> national championship parade. Yeah, he says Go Huskies, which yes. is my favorite little party trick. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about, but it's he knows the Husky though. He can recognize the All Husky, right. which is pretty impressive, this, I think. Step one. <laughs> Step one. What was it? I feel like there was a Coach Hurley thing I wanted to say. I don't remember what it was. Oh, just the fact that he said, and people on Twitter were like, oh, it took three years. But he's like, you wait, we're going to do it. And they did it. Yeah. He was building a program. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's, it's only been five years. And yeah. when you think about, we, we kind of came from a, a rough place. Right. And, Super rough patch in our history there. And, and then those last two years where they were, they lost in the first round mm-hmm. and people were kind of doubting and. Don't doubt. Don't, don't ever doubt. sleep on us. Don't doubt. I, t- I tell you, as a as a longtime UConn fan, very weird feeling to uh, to see Bobby Hurley cheering on. <laughs> like, wow, I'm celebrating a national championship with Bobby Hurley. Arch nemesis. This is a weird feeling. It's yes, a good feeling. It's, it's a great. weird one. It's great. Yeah, it was neat to see. Like uh, the president tweeted congratulations, and wow. Barack Obama tweeted congratulations, and um, you know, it's it's nice to get that kind of recognition. It is. Um, and uh, everyone's just kind of in a good mood. It's good. We're tired, but we're good. We are tired. We're tired. The whole building is just sleepy today. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of groaning in my last few meetings. <laughs> yeah. But, but everybody's happy. They've already changed the highway sign. Oh, that was cool. I saw uh, that picture. Yep, yep. Five five times. Also, Bill Murray. A, oh, like, my God. A delightful courtside presence. Right? And he was with Jonathan the Husky yesterday. I know. What a superpowers team up. That was pretty cool. That was really good content. I, we have a coworker who I won't name because it's an embarrassing thing, but she didn't realize she's like that guy looks a lot like bill murray for like the whole last few months and she didn't realize why bill murray was he's like why would bill murray be at uconn the ghostbuster and she she learned that yesterday that well it was I, in fact bill murray i've had a, a, a friends who are alums say like what's his connection what is what, why does he like about you? they don't realize that his son is an assistant coach yeah yeah but it is kind of like under the radar it is a little bit it's, under the yeah, radar. yeah it's not like anyone's you know now people are trying to make a big deal out of it but yeah it was sort of a like oh did you know yep yeah. Fun uh, fact. Yeah, just a really fun tournament. Brought a lot of people together for good things. You know, Dan Hurley's weird superstition about his underwear <laughs> led <laughs> just to heard a, about that this morning. Fifty thousand dollar donation to the Yukon Tickets Project. Sweet. Oh yeah, MeUndies, right? Yeah, that's right. Oh, we should get sponsored by MeUndies. I know it's a podcast. I don't I feel think like, we're allowed. I know, right? Yeah, we're, only one. we're a state agency. Yeah, we're not allowed to do that. No sponsorships. Yeah, this is by the way, this is the cold open to our show. This is how tired we are. <laughs> <laughs> this is episode one hundred seven. <laughs> Of UConn 360. It's the only podcast. You haven't even introduced the podcast. It's the only podcast in the world that covers the basketball capital of the world from every conceivable angle. <laughs> Coming to you from stores, I'm Tom Breen. I didn't even get that. Joining me as always, my co-host, Julie Partuga. Julie, how are you? Who am I? Where am I? <laughs> this is... We were going to record this earlier, and then we said, no, we should wait. Yeah, we were going to record. Yeah, well, we had pushed it back like twice yeah. because we had recorded this interview that you're going to hear that has nothing to do with basketball. No, it's a good interview. Everything though. to do with how great our students are. Yep. Um, and we were like, oh, let's record Monday because we'll finally be back in the office after some stuff. And we were like, oh, duh. What are we going to do? Fake it? We're going to yeah. do, do a fake uh, a fake. what if we win, what if we lose intro? No. We, we thought about that, and then – I think we both simultaneously thought how sad it would be, it would be so sad. to do that. And then, like, they lose and right. we have this, like, fake f- happy one. No. Yeah, so we just... no. Bad idea. So, so yeah, if you didn't know where you were listening to, you do now. Yeah, you do. 
Thanks. I want, maybe I won't even put the uh, intro music in. No, I'll just, yeah, just, I'll just start with the. Just put my. Uh, We've never done a true cold open before. No, this, I think. This, I think it, it, it justifies it. The, the it national totally championship totally does. One hundred and seven episodes to get to a first cold open. Cold open. <laughs> with the terrible karaoke version of "We Are the Champions." <laughs> After they won, I had to write the story for the UConn today. Today Edu, by the way, mm. um, and uh, I just had. Queen's version, like on a loop, on just a playing loop. over and over and over. Amazing. Yeah. Queen's version. We wouldn't clarify Tom was not listening to that Muzak no. that we were doing to avoid being we, sued. <laughs> that's right. We're trying to avoid somebody's, I guess, the copyright detection software that some yeah, of Apple the has. Yeah, the AI that would come after us. Um, yeah, but anyway, in addition to the national championship, this is a good show. It is. We had a really good interview. We did. Uh, tell us about who we're going to meet on this episode. I will. I'm very excited. We have a student here for the first time in a while. UConn senior Nidhi Nair is UConn's first Schwartzman Scholar. She's one of 151 such scholars from 36 countries who will study at Tsinghua University in Beijing next fall for her master's degree. This honor student majors in economics, mathematics, and statistics and grew up in India. And she's the president of Yukon Economic Society and a founder of the Invisible Hand Speaker Series. And I'm going to just rattle off a whole bunch of accomplishments <laughs> here. Nidhi has been named a United Nations Millennium Fellow, a Worth Innovator, and a Yukon Co-op Legacy Fellow for her research and advocacy efforts in financial literacy. She was also a Yukon at COP26 Fellow at the United Nations COP26 conference in Scotland and was a 2022 Leadership Legacy Scholar. So welcome to UConn 360. Thank you for having me. So excited to be here. This is a very impressive list of accomplishments and we have a lot we want to talk about. But I was wondering first how you became interested in economics to begin with. I think my interest in economics kind of began when I grew up in India. My grandmother was part of a savings group. It's when 10 to 15 women will come together and pull in their savings every month and use that as collateral to get loans from banks because they technically wouldn't qualify for access to credit because they don't have any assets. I mean, I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was really cool how these women were able to get like a second source of income. They usually started their own businesses and they were able to rise about their income levels and put their kids through school. And I thought that was really impressive. So I started studying them and I shadowed my grandmother's savings group for a little bit. And it was really fun. And I thought I could do this for a living. I could have a career where I can kind of figure out small ways in which we can, you know, help people rise about their income status, achieve economic mobility and reduce poverty rates in low income countries and communities. So that was kind of my introduction to economics. Wow, that's fascinating. The list that Julie rattled off, and I'm sure there's a few that she missed, is very impressive. What kind of experiences have these fellowships and scholarships enabled you to have? What kind of things have you learned from, from doing these things? Oh, wow. So much. UConn has been the best decision I have ever made in my life. The reason I came to UConn was because I got a full tuition waiver here and it was more financially viable for me to come to the U.S. and study than it was to study in India. And I'm so grateful I'm here because... I've never had these many opportunities to engage such a diverse array of interests. Like I've had the opportunity through fellowships to conduct research, to do social impact projects, to host like leadership meetings and to st start my own initiatives in so many ways. So yeah, these fellowships have just been, have just been incredible. I am so grateful to have received them. 
We're glad you're here. You talked about some of the things that you've started. I was curious if you could tell us a little bit about the Invisible Hand speaker series that you founded. Oh my God, that's my baby. I love it. It's, <laughs> I, I've worked so much on that. It's it's kind of a research conference for people in economics who are hoping to meet mentors and scholars from other universities. So economics is the least diverse social science, both in terms of the number of women that are represented as well as minorities. Like less than 20% of economists are women. Wow. And it's like a pretty, it's it's a very like machismo field or so I've heard it be described. And that's really rough because economists craft so much policy that affects so many low and middle income communities. And I think one of the best ways to kind of benefit that in, at a university level is to introduce students to a lot of scholars who could potentially guide them, be their mentors and kind of give them that push that they need to you know, pursue a PhD program or to go to graduate school or even just to be involved in economic policy making at like a local level. I feel like if you meet a mentor who looks like you or who talks like you or comes from a similar background, it's a lot easier to aspire to those positions of power or status or authority. So that's kind of why I started the Invisible Hand. We had 250 audience members last year. This year, we're hoping to hit like 400 people. We're inviting other universities as well. So I keep you posted. I hope it goes well. Thank you. Good luck. Something else that you started, we wrote about on UConn Today, Financial Literacy Week. And as people are listening to this, it'll either be right before or during Financial Literacy Week. So what is Financial Literacy Week? And how did it come about? So I started a research project for my honors thesis two years ago on trying to study the financial literacy rate of UConn students, because I read somewhere that the Connecticut has a failing grade in financial literacy rates compared to all states. There are only 11 states that failed, and Connecticut was one of them. Wow. Yeah, because we don't have personal finance requirements for graduating seniors. And those students come to UConn. 75% of UConn students are Connecticut residents. Mm -hmm. So they come to UConn, and they're financially illiterate throughout UConn. And then they graduate still being financially illiterate, investing in stocks without knowing basic concepts like interest rates, inflation. And I decided to study that. So I put out the survey and 400 people took it. And the results showed that less than 40 percent of undergraduates are financially literate. They cannot answer three basic questions on financial literacy. So then my friend and I, Bridget Abril, we both applied for funding from one of UConn's many grants to initiate a social impact project on campus, which is Financial Literacy Week, where we're basically hoping to teach students like five basic concepts through the course of five events over one week. And April is Financial Literacy Month, so... We're hoping that it ties in well. That's a, that's my long-winded answer, but yeah, that's what we're doing. It's such a great idea, and, and something I think everyone should be able I to think graduate I need college to go to I this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Because I didn't when I graduated from UConn, I had no idea Mm-mm. about any of that. I mean, I, I could balance a checkbook, but that was about it. Like, I didn't know how stocks worked. I didn't know. Uh, how property taxes worked. I mean, so this is a fantastic idea. Oh, thank you. I, I hope it. I hope it reaches the right audience. We're, tr- we're really trying to reach first generation students, mm-hmm. which is twenty five percent of UConn's campus. So we're trying to hit like the quarter of students on campus who would have no idea because their parents haven't taught them these basic concepts. So yeah, let's let's see how it goes. Good luck. I can't wait to hear about it. So you're doing a lot right here on campus, but you also are doing work on the international stage. What were you able to do at the COP26 conference? What was that experience like? COP26 was just so amazing. Fun fact, UConn is one of three universities in the U.S. to send undergraduate delegates to the conference. And this is the world's most influential climate discussions. I thought it was really cool that we were represented. We were the only public institution, too. It was us and Yale and Vanderbilt, I think. And there were 14 
19 students from UConn compared to three delegates from those schools. Wow. I was so proud. And we all got to like sit in these really cool discussions on like these tiny details that country delegates would fight over. Like I still remember the Indian delegate was so set on saying that they would phase down coal emissions instead of phasing out. And they had like an hour long debate on that. And it was so interesting to see. And of course, we couldn't talk. We were like in the back trying to take notes. But it was an incredible experience, life changing. And I basically just went to all the panels as many as I could attend. And it actually left me with a lot of hope about climate change. I think there are so many cool stakeholders across the world doing incredible things. So I'm hopeful. (laughs) That is fantastic. And speaking of international scholarship, UConn is 143 years old and we've only had one Schwartzman Scholar. That's you. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. What did that feel like when you found out you had been named as a Schwartzman Scholar and what are you hoping to do studying in Beijing? Oh, it was so exciting. My parents, my grandparents, I called everybody and we were just so excited to have a fully funded master's at the world's like 20th, no, 20th best university or something. It it was such an incredible opportunity. And what I'm hoping to do is I'm hoping to build a really good network of people who are change makers, who are interested in leading in their different fields and who are hoping to start their own companies or start their own movements and initiatives. And that's, that's the only goal I've set for myself this year is to just introduce myself to as many people, to learn the language, to get acclimatized to a new culture. So yeah, that's kind of my tentative goal for this coming year. It's just, just no big thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, though. So you've talked a little bit about the things you've already done as a student. You know, we have a lot of experts on this show, a lot of researchers here at the university, but it's really cool to see somebody as young as you and as early in their career as you doing what you're doing. And you talked about your grandmother and the Savings Club and how you told UConn today in the story on your scholarship that you're passionate about boosting socioeconomic mobility, and you view that issue through a lens of public economics and educational disparities. So we like to talk about a lot of kind of hot topics, and you said you have hope for climate change, um, but there's been a lot of discussion lately about, like, the American dream. Is that still attainable? Is that still something that can happen? So I was curious about what you think, you know, you're doing some of these things already, but what do you think can be done to increase access to opportunities for people? That's such a great question. I I don't think that we focus on it enough in public discourse. I think that there's such an emphasis on federal economic initiatives, like doing nationwide projects, trying to raise economic mobility among low-income communities, when really it's so variant based on which neighborhood you grew up in. So I think that we should really be doing state and local experimental evidence should be collected on a state and local level. And we should be using that data to suggest policy solutions that kind of are tailored towards those communities because it's you would not believe how diverse the rates are like in places like charlotte the odds of a child from the bottom 20 percent of society reaching the top 20 percent is four percent whereas all the way across the country in san jose it's like 12.6 percent and it makes no sense why it's so different in these two different cities and it's literally because of a diverse range of factors in those neighborhoods that we cannot assess or provide solutions for at a national level So what I'm hoping to do is start a research and advocacy organization after I graduate that does experiments at a local level trying to change small things about neighborhoods. Like if you reduce the distance to a school by a certain number of miles, do those kids end up earning more in the long term? Does access to books at home or at a local level change you know, educational levels or like developmental indicators and things like that. I want to do those small scale 
experiments at local levels and see if those make a tangible difference compared to doing more federal policy that we honestly never really analyze and we've spent close to $20 trillion on that I think that's I think we need to make a change. So that is where I would begin. You know so much about so many different things, and I'm really curious about media diet. What what sources do you follow? I mean, are there newspapers, are there websites, are there podcasts you listen to? Like, how do you stay on top of new issues, developing issues in economics or finance or, or business? I'm a big fan of podcasts. I would say that I listen to the journal every morning. So when I'm getting ready for school, I would put on the journal. I listen to the Wall Street Journal a lot, and The Economist has a great set of podcasts out there. It's mainly like international economics, which is I'm hoping to prepare for when I go to Schwartzman. I don't want to be the, the least educated one. So I'm trying to prepare. So yeah, I would say podcasts are very easy. You can When you're walking to class, you can listen to like so many of them. So that's that's what I do. Yeah, there's uh, there's one Bloomberg does called Odd Lots. Yes. That's, yeah, it's really I've good. I've heard that one. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, fantastic stuff. That's great. What do you like to do for fun? <laughs> <laughs> do you have time to have fun? Oh God, I it's so hard. It's my last semester, so I'm trying to I'm trying to prioritize friendships and relationships over everything else, like including grades, everything. So it's been a lot of fun. I'm an RA, which does okay. not sound like fun. I, that means residential assistant. I work in McMahon, and it's so fun because I get to work with my friends. We live in the same building, and I also have a radio show on campus, which is a lot of fun. And yeah, those are the two things that I can point out. That's fantastic, though. And you, you're so passionate about what you're doing that I'm sure you, you get joy from that, too. And what's your radio show about? Yeah. Oh, I just rant. I think, it's, I think it's so fun. I just play music. and It's such a great cultural outlet. And a lot of students on campus don't know that you can kind of play your favorite songs, talk about your shows, do anything for an hour on air. You can invite guests over. I think it's really cool. I, I just keep it very free-flowing, though. No topics most of the time. That's does fantastic. it have a name, and when does it air? It does not have a name. I, there's an official name that I don't even remember because <laughs> I, I, I don't like naming it because it's never about any specific thing. But it's on Saturdays from, okay. like, 11 to 12, I think. Good for you. 11 to 12 a.m. or? PM. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. That's a good slot. It is a good slot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah only twenty people listen to the show, so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> exactly. I <love> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very few listeners. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, is there anything else we missed that you wanted to hit on today? No, no. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was great. This is fantastic. Where can people follow you? Any any socials that you want to plug or anything? Oh like yeah, that? LinkedIn, Instagram. I. It's just my name. So. Yeah, follow me if you want to. That would be so great. Well, good luck with everything. And thank you for coming to chat with us about your incredible accomplishments. You you have a lot to be proud of. Yes, thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you. All right. Well, as we mentioned, that was recorded previously. So yes. we're back. We're back. Still riding the high of the uh, national championship. But I, I have a, a Tom's history shelf, whatever. <laughs> it's definitely a shelf. It's the worst. Thing. It's worse than corner. It is a little worse than corner. Um it's not basketball related because I didn't. No, I didn't want to jinx too it. Sleep deprived. I am too sleep deprived. Yeah. But uh, what it is is we have uh, a prop. There's a prop here. I thought it would be fun to travel back to the summer of 1966. Sounds like a good year to travel back to and take some summer classes. Oh, oh. See what? Are we going to do some descriptions? See what life Wait, was I like. To, I want to describe for the listener um, this this yellowed booklet that Tom is holding his hand. You know, our office designs things like this nowadays. It's true. The University of Connecticut 1966 summer sessions. And there's a picture of what building is that? Is that an existing building that's still here? That's one of the East Campus dorms. East Campus dorm with a lot of beautiful ivy The ivy's gone now. Yeah, we don't have that. That's yeah. nice. It has a um, weather vane on the top. Very cool. Okay. Yeah. 
All right, we've got it open. Tom's with, gonna... with the three owls too. If you, if uh, the, um, I don't know that. I don't a little, know what that's about. It's a little campus Easter egg for you. Look okay. for the weather frame with the three owls. Okay. Um, so this is the uh, summer session catalog from 1966. It would have been uh, published before the summer of 66, mm-hmm. of course. And they give you a little description about what UConn was like in 1966. Oh boy. The University of Connecticut is recognized as one of the country's outstanding and most rapidly expanding institutions of higher education. It is both a state university and a land-grant college. Its 1,900-acre stores campus has over 336 permanent buildings, <laughs> including a library with over 545,000 bound volumes and, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> and thousands of pamphlets. Oh, <laughs> leather-bound books. Maybe that was like a, a – I don't know. Pamphlets. Go are... to the library and check out the pamphlets. <laughs> That was uh, – And someone with my job would have been writing something like that. I know. What can we say about the library? <laughs> they got some pamphlets. And, that, and, and uh, listeners will perhaps know that was Wilbur Cross Library. That was before Homer yes. Babbage. Yeah. While all New England is recognized as a haven for summer vacationers, the university's central location within easy reach of the mountains, the shore, and the New York and Boston metropolitan areas makes it an ideal spot for summer study and recreation. We literally still write things like that. It's true. <laughs> Summer enrollment during the 1965 session was approximately 4,000 with students from as far away as Florida and California and a number of foreign students. Just a number. It could be two. <laughs> it could be any number. That's a number. <laughs> Cultural advantages on oh, the Storrs campus center around the large modern student union, the Albert Jorgensen Auditorium and the Harriet S. Jorgensen Theater. The Summer Session Activities Committee provides a program of varied activities for students, including parties, picnics, tours, convocations, special events, television, reception, and dances. <laughs> Events such as television. I was hoping that it was just going to be like six different words for parties when you started with parties and picnics. <laughs> that's, I, that's what I would imagine anyway. Uh, there are also available picnic stoves, barbecue equipment, tennis rackets and balls, softball equipment, basketball, playing cards, Aww. chess sets, cribbage boards, and table tennis facilities for use by summer sessions students. I mean, Tom, this is really like all we do now is we say we have a game room and a rec center. I know. Like, this, it's the same. This gives you more. Same stuff. The facilities of the student union are available to summer students for browsing, lounging, and listening to recordings from 8.30 a.m. to 11 p.m. Um, listen to my recordings. I'm going to go listen to the recordings and then browse the pamphlets. That's really great. But that's – honestly, I'm surprised that 4,000 summer session students, that's living here on campus. That is impressive. Uh, there were two sessions for undergraduates and two for graduate students. And interestingly for both undergraduates and graduates, you had to live on campus during the mm-hmm. summer session. That's cool. If you wanted to commute, you had to get special permission. All right. There was some information for those living on campus, which is supposedly everybody. Uh, so they talk about uh, the housing and they say those living in residence halls must provide their own pillow, blankets, bed, <laughs> bed linen, towels, bureau scarf. Okay. Don't forget your bureau scarf. <laughs> electric iron, fire resistant waste paper basket, study lamps, and any other furnishings they desire. Students may solve their laundry problem by contracting for weekly bed linen and towel service with college linen supply. I'm going to refer to uh, doing laundry as my laundry problem. Mm-hmm. I have a big laundry problem. Yeah. <laughs> Too much of it. Did you did you take summer classes when you were an undergrad? I did. Not here. I took classes in Waterbury oh, a couple okay. times. I was a dual degree, and I didn't learn until very late in my UConn career that I needed a bunch of extra credits <laughs> to get a dual degree. Oh. No one told me. Yeah. Um, so, and of course, I didn't, you know, read the fine print. So I took, yeah, I took some anthropology classes in Waterbury. That were, oh, nice. Yeah, with a fantastic professor there. I took, I took my lab sciences during the summers. Okay. Smart. Yeah. What did you take? I took geology. I took geology too. Hey, journalism. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was really dumb when I was an undergrad. Yeah. And we did a 
a lot of field trips in that geology. Yeah. And we went down to, I think, Bluff Point, maybe. Cool. And um, the professor, Ray Justin, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe it was Randy Steinen. I forget. Um, but he said, like, bring a lot of water because it's going to be hot. And, mm. gonna, and I, I didn't. And I didn't listen to him. Oh, did you pass out? I got, I think I got sunstroke. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I, I like I wandered on a rock field trip. <laughs> I wandered away from the group, and I was like lost. And then I kind of found my way back to the parking lot as they were ending. And like the professor didn't know that I had like wandered away. And like I went up to him, and I was like, "I need water." <laughs> and he had a two liter of water, and I just drank the whole thing. I mean, if you think about it, in what year was this? This was probably like ninety eight. Even when I was in school, like people were just starting to like carry their own water. Yeah, bottles. this was right. Like that was not really a thing. It was not really when a thing. I was a kid, and when you were in college, no. it was. Yeah, I mean, even when I was in school, I didn't carry. People had Nalgene's, and I was like, "What's that about?" I'm going to buy a Coke at the yeah. student union. <laughs> yeah, I brought a bottle of Sprite with me. <laughs> when you said bring water, bring you water. brought a bottle of Sprite. Yeah, and and one. It's a wonder you got sunstroke and lost the group. I, hilarious. Yeah. I somehow passed that class too. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. Now the, the kicker for this, mm-hmm. what what would you pay for this summer Ooh. summer education in 1966? $100. Uh, it's a little more expensive than that actually. Okay. For room and board, it would be $23.75 per week. Per week. Okay. And it was how long was the program? Uh, there were two um, six-week sessions. Okay. $20 per credit hour. Okay. And then a $2.50 student union fee. Those, those recordings you're listening to, those aren't free. <laughs> you pay for those. And a $2 to have a car on campus. you got to pay a wow. parking fee. So, <laughs> yeah. Just like our parking fees. Things never change. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously – there's been inflation since 1966. There's been a lot of inflation. But, I'm aware of inflation. But even without inflation. No, that's 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 a good bargain. That was that's back when good bargain. the state accounted for like 80% of our budget mm-hmm. compared to 25% today. So. Yeah, which is pretty great. Yeah. Oh, to be 1966 I know. Again, right? I know. Are there pictures? Yeah, there are some pictures. Oh, cute little women with their books in their hands. No book bag. Everyone's wearing a dress on the cover here. Yep. It's a really pretty building. Why don't we have ivy anymore? Courtesy of Mike Enright, by the way. He found I was that. wondering where you got this. Is it a um, – oh, this was – okay, Homer Babbage. Gant. Oh, let's let's count how many buildings. Wilfred B. Young. That's the Young building, mm-hmm. right? W. Harrison Carter was the dean of liberal arts. Robert O. Harvey, business. School of Engineering. Arthur B. Bronwell. That's a building. Yep. Graduate school, Nathan LaSalle Wetton. That is also a building, the graduate school building. E. George Van Bibber. Oh, that's a good name. That's a good name. E. George Van Bibber. There's also one of the art teachers is of the Von Schlippi Gallery. Oh, wow. Isn't that weird? Did they know before they died that these buildings were going to be named after them? And it's pretty interesting to like look through those names and like, oh, I reckon these are. And it's like, no, I don't actually know. UConn it. celebrities. But I guess that's why you honor people with a building name, carries their legacy on. It's pretty cool. Oh, it lists the professors as Mr. and Mrs. or Miss. Wow. That's interesting. That's, that's that is a relic. Product of its time. So that's the summer of 66 here on campus. That's a song, isn't it? Probably, might be. JK. Should be. If you want to follow uh, me on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> I I tweeted a, a thread and um, this morning about uh, like why it's a big deal that UConn won a national championship. I haven't read it yet. I'll have to go. 
and people are saying nice things about it, but it's it's really funny to read the people who are not saying because it's, mm. it's like the least controversial opinion in the mm-hmm. world. Like it's you know, and uh, I can't say the funniest one uh, because it has a rude language in it. Mm. But I laughed out loud when I saw it. Just All like right. how could this person? I can't wait. Yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, but yeah, that's follow at, Tom at least for that. That's at TJ Breen to see people yell at me and call me names for liking basketball. Mine is at Julie Bartuka, and all I do is retweet other people and make great jokes like, was there a game on tonight? <laughs> Which got three likes from, like, my aunt and my mom. <laughs> hey, that's not bad. That, that was all I had at 1 a.m. That's so. not bad. And, uh, yeah, uh, check out today.yukon.edu. Magazine.yukon.edu. And uh, we'll be back probably before commencement. You'll hear from yeah. us. Yeah, we're, we're, in a, we're in about a monthly vibe right now. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And until then, uh, thanks for listening. Go Huskies. Go Huskies. Go Huskies.